God's plans will always precede our knowledge and exceed our expectations. God's plans are always going to precede our knowledge and exceed our expectations. That means he always goes before us and he always goes beyond us. Everything that he's planned and designed and worked out in this world is bigger than us and always will be because he's God and we are not. And as we look at these servant songs of Isaiah in the season of Lent, we see this principle on display here, that God's plans always go before us and surpass our expectations. These songs, these four servant songs of the latter half of Isaiah, speak about an expected Messiah, the servant of God, who is the one who will bring about God's justice, God's teaching, and in chapter 53 says he will bear our sins on himself in his death. So it's always through this servant that God executes these plans. And this particular song we're looking at in chapter 49 clarifies the servant's identity and his mission. So I'm going to look at the servant who, spoiler alert, it's Jesus. That's who we're looking at is Jesus Christ, prefigured in this servant centuries before he came. We want to look at his identity and mission through chapter 49. And I want to focus on just verses 1 through 6. So if you want to open your Bibles and join me, we'll look at how this song uh, clarifies the servant's identity and mission and shows how God's plans always precede our knowledge and exceed our expectations. So in this passage, verses 1 through 6, I think it splits up very nicely to look at his identity and his mission. Verses 1 through 3, let's focus on the identity of the servant. And the first thing we notice is that God's sovereignty is all over this from the very beginning. It is the Lord who has called the servant. It is the Lord who has formed him and made him and then sent him out. So this is a servant who has been chosen by God, called by God, formed by God, and sent by God. Verse 1 says, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. And the idea that God's sovereignty precedes all that happens is witnessed here, and that he called the servant even from the womb. And predicting this centuries before Jesus was in the womb of his mother, Mary. So many of you know I just had a baby. My wife and I just had a baby two and a half weeks ago. Uh, which is delightful and exhausting and uh, very filled with a lot of poop and spit up. Uh, so, but it's great, and it's comforting to me to know that the Lord knew his name when he was in the womb. He knew Andrew's name when he was just a small zygote in, in the womb. Before we had decided on a name, God, God named him, and God called him. God knew him, and that's true for each one of us. The sovereignty of God far precedes our knowledge of it and far precedes our existence in this world. Here we see how God's designs precede our knowledge and and come before their happenings in the world. He's putting into action what he's been planning for ages past, even from the beginning of all creation. And the fact that God calls the servant by name Let's remember who we're talking about here. 
It's Jesus Christ, whom Philippians 2 says God has given the name above all names because he humbled himself to the form of a servant. And he died for our sins and he was exalted to the right hand of God. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So when it says that he named the name of the servant, he's talking about everything that he designed to do through this servant, Jesus Christ. So this is God's chosen one. This is God's called one from the beginning. And then he formed the servant specifically for his purposes. Verse 2, look at how God has fashioned and formed and equipped the servant for his purposes. As, As weapons of war. He's made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And these weapons of war are are poetic descriptions to illustrate the effectiveness of the servant and also the context of the war that he's entering into. That this is a spiritual battle that the servant is engaging on behalf of the Lord. And this is not going to be a simple and bloodless revolution. This is a war and there will be a cost, as we'll hear about in the coming weeks. But God has formed and fashioned this servant for his purposes as as weapons. And we see this in Jesus. We see this in the Revelation where just just as this, out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. And he's come to do battle on behalf of the Lord. Verse 3, there's a lot in verse 3 to unpack. He says, he said to me, the Lord said to the servant, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Uh, First, just look at this word glorified. Some of you may, in your Bibles, have a little footnote on that. You look at the bottom, it might say, or the Hebrew says, I will display my beauty. I will display my splendor or my glory through you. To be glorified, for God to be glorified, means that his beauty is put on display. So in this servant, in his identity and his mission, all the glory and the beauty of God is shown off before the whole world, put on display before every, for everyone to see. And he says this fascinating phrase, you are my servant, Israel. Why does he call this one person the name of the whole nation? In this one person, he bears a representative identity. He is a representative of the entire nation of Israel, the entire people of God. And the nation of Israel has shown itself unfit for the task. They have failed in their calling. Even the chapter previous to this, 48, says this, that Israel has not lived up to its name, or they've they've been the people of God in name only. So the servant now comes in as a representative, and he is given Israel's job. He is given the task to bring justice and light to the nations, to take over from here where Israel has failed. So in this one person, this one figure, he perfectly embodies and represents and identifies as Israel, the people of God. And not only does this servant perfectly represent Israel, all that it is meant to be, but he represents and embodies God's character and God's purposes in this world. So we have here a perfect representative for both man 
and God. I hope this is ringing some bells for you, sounding familiar as we talk about Jesus, the one who is fully God and fully man. Perfect representations of both heaven and earth. And as he's a representative of the people of God, it's helpful to think about this concept of what the people of God is and how it's been thought about throughout the Old Testament and all of Scripture, really. Because the idea of the people of God, Israel, had gradually become more and more narrowed throughout the generations as we read through the Old Testament. At first, Israel, the nation, was one man, was Jacob. And then it became the 12 tribes that came, descended from his 12 sons. The nation of Israel that multiplied, first in Egypt, then in Canaan. And the whole nation then became focused on to Judah. The, uh, the people of God, was uh, the mission of God came through Judah as the, the kingdom split into two. And the southern kingdom remained after the northern kingdom had been destroyed. Then they were all carried off into exile, and there was a remnant that returned and came after the exile that God worked through. The first half of Isaiah talks a lot about this remnant that came through. So we see how God's purposes are continuing to work through his people as they get narrower and narrower as the idea of the people of God. And now it narrows even further into the particular and one person. There's the identity of the people of God, the Messiah who is called the true Israel. And the paradox of this narrowing is that out of this, one person bears the identity of the people of God. Out of that comes the universality that God always intended for his people. Out of Jesus, the servant, comes the explosion outward to encompass the whole world invited to become the people of God. So we have this narrowing, narrowing, narrowing to one person and then an explosion outward of what God's intention and purposes are for his people. So this is the servant's identity that God has chosen and called and formed him in. And then he sends him out and on to the mission that God has given. And that's what we read about in verses 4 through 6. Let's look at the servant's mission. Verse 4, he, we hear the servant speaking again. And he's speaking about these frustrations and the resistance that he's encountered. I've labored in vain, he says. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Maybe these frustrations, maybe a little glimpse of a despair. But he says, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. So the servant is engaging God's mission that he sent him out for He's encountering resistance and maybe apparent fruitlessness. But God will vindicate him, he says. He's confident that God will make him right, will prove him right. Because unlike the nation of Israel, Jesus, the true Israel, the true servant, he never turned away from God in moments of frustration or apparent failure. Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured, even through the cross, trusting in God's work. When we encounter frustration, when we're about God's business, which we will, we'll encounter frustration, fruitlessness, we'll uh, encounter resistance, that that word yet is so important that we see in the latter half of the verse 4. When we are tempted to give up, when we're tempted to, to say, I haven't had any fruit, 
or I'm encountering too much resistance. We must remember that God who called us, who chose us, called us, formed us, and sent us, he is on our side. He is with us. Some of you know I did campus ministry for, uh, for eight years, um, working on co- various college campuses and trying to evangelize students and disciple them and to, to help them be sent out on mission. And much of my eight years, my, my wife will affirm this, could be characterized by frustration and apparent fruitlessness. And I had to learn many, many times over, and I'm still learning this, that God does not uh, judge our ministry and our mission by its fruit, but by its faithfulness. And so the, the will to endure, the will to carry on, has to rest on this trusting in God to prove us right in the end, to vindicate us, and to be our reward. So we look at verses 5 and 6 at the shape of the servant's mission. And there's a two-fold mission here to Israel and to the nations. The first was expected and the first was asked for. The second was unexpected, unasked for, maybe not even desired by the people of God. So let's look at his mission to gather Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to the Lord. Verse 5. Israel becomes a savior of Israel. Israel gathers Israel back to God. And so we see in the servant, this representative role also carries a distinction from the nation. Because Israel cannot be its own savior. But his role is to call God's people back to the Lord. To return to their purpose. To know their own calling and what God desires of them. And Jesus, we see this in him, always claimed that his mission, first and foremost, was to the Jewish people, and then later to the Gentiles. But verse 6 then says, verse 6, this is where God exceeds our expectations and works beyond our hopes and dreams. He says, God says to him, it is too light a thing that you should just be my servant, just towards Israel. It is too light a thing, too small, too myopic, too focused and self-centered for the purposes of God. That you should just focus on the nation of Israel. Because God has always had in mind more than just this one nation, his chosen people. He always intended to work through Israel to bring his salvation to the whole world. And so it's too small a thing just to focus insularly on that one nation. The scope and the scale of God's mission through the servant is far bigger than we ever thought before, far bigger than the Jewish people were hoping for or expecting or asking for. It was not enough for the purposes of God simply to save the nation of Israel. He had far bigger plans for that. And sometimes he encountered resistance in that, didn't he? The Jewish people were uncomfortable in some ways with reaching outside themselves to be a light for the nations. But that is the call of the servant. I will make you as a light for the nations, the Lord says, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. We see here in the servant's call, in his mission, a fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham. That we see first in Genesis 12, that God said to Abraham, Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
It was never meant to be about one nation. It was always for the purposes of the salvation of the whole earth. And to be a light to the nations far exceeds anything that was asked for or hoped for. And it far exceeds the abilities of any human or prophet. It, far, it works far outside the norms and the comfort zone of the Jewish people. God's plans are always bigger and greater and more uncomfortable than we ever thought before. It's always going to stretch us because he's bigger than us and his plans are bigger than us. So we see this is the shape of the servant's mission, verses 4 through 6. And this, this servant, in his identity and his mission that's given by God, we know this is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who says, I am the light of the world. I will be a light to the nations. He takes up that mission and that identity that God has given to him. Our gospel reading in John 12, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus is the one who takes up this mantle because he has been chosen, called, formed, and sent for this purpose. He is God's salvation that reaches to the ends of the earth. When we think of Jesus, he is not an add-on to our faith. He's not a lifestyle enhancer or a good spiritual teacher or guide. He himself is salvation. He himself is God's light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And there is no other name by which we can be saved. That Philippians 2 passage I mentioned earlier says that Jesus is the one who lowered and humbled himself to take on the form of a servant so that he could take on human flesh and human weakness and limitation that he might represent us, that he might represent Israel perfectly, taking our sins upon himself as he died on the cross so that he could accomplish God's mission and purposes in this world to bring salvation. And now he's exalted to the name above all names. And at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he's Lord. So we see that from before time, for centuries past, God has been waiting to surprise us and surpass our expectations with his work of salvation that comes through this servant, Jesus Christ. This servant is only Jesus. And my prayer is that as we read this, as we see what Jesus' mission and identity is, as we see God's glory and beauty on display through him, that we ourselves will be drawn to him more and more. That Jesus said previously to our gospel reading, that when I am lifted up from the earth, meaning when I am put on the cross, I will draw all people to myself, he says in John 12. And when we are drawn to him, when we are in awe of him and the beauty of God that's on display, we then receive his identity and his mission. We are given the identity and mission of Jesus when we come and to believe in his name and receive his salvation. Jesus was one whose mission flowed out of his identity and all of his identity went into that mission. 
And we've been given that same identity and mission in Christ. We've been given a new identity, that we belong to Christ, that we are his children, no longer slaves to sin, but live in the freedom of his light and glory. And not only that, we've been given his mission. Because God says, it is too light a thing for it to be just about you. It is too light a thing for God that he would simply save us from our sins and bring us into eternal life. It's too small a thing that it would just be insularly focused on our salvation. But God invites us into his salvation, invites us into his kingdom to make Jesus' identity and mission our identity and mission. And he sends us out into the world to bring this good news of salvation, to continue Jesus' work of being a light to the nations, of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is still at work doing that through us, even now. Now, you who take on this identity and mission of Jesus, you're not God's perfect representative uh, because you don't need to bear the sins of the world and to take that burden on yourself. That's been done. But you are a representative of God, you are His ambassador as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. It is through you that God's beauty will be put on display, that God's glory will be seen to the whole earth, that he will be glorified in this world. You have been chosen, called, formed, and sent out into this world. And through you, God desires to bring light to the nations by pointing back to this servant, Jesus, it's only through him that we, that we do this. It's not on our own efforts or our own strength. But God desires to work through you, just as he always has to work through his people. That continues even now in us. And so I hope we see that how God's plans, God's designs always precede our knowledge and exceed our expectations. And that God has called you into this. God has called you into the identity and mission of the servant, into Jesus. And God knows what he has planned for you from long ago. You know, and I, I find myself wondering how many people uh, that are in this room and watching online, how many evangelists and missionaries and prophets and healers we have in this place that don't yet know it. How many people are here that don't yet know how God will send them out into his mission? And that doesn't mean necessarily that you need to quit your job or move to a foreign land, but it means taking on the identity and mission of Jesus where you are. And God will always exceed our expectations and surpass all that we imagine to be possible as we live into this. Because the spirit of Jesus always goes before us and works beyond us, pushing us out of our comfort zones while also empowering us with his very presence. So in this servant song, we see Jesus. And as we are drawn to him, I hope, I pray, that we can learn to see ourselves as well. Learn to see how God's mission is often accomplished in ways that we don't expect or aren't necessarily looking for. So 
in this Lenten season, as we go through these servant songs, I want to invite you and encourage you to be looking for God's work that always goes beyond you, but that he invites you into. His work that surpasses your expectations. And my prayer is that we seek to live into that identity and mission of the servant, Jesus Christ, with all that we are. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this calling that you've given to us. And for some of us, this might be a fearful thing or uh, a calling that we don't feel that we have the ability or the right to take on or maybe that we don't want to. But Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and encourage us to find the life that is only in the name of Jesus and to take on this identity and mission with joy. And in all of this, keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.